Hanukkah Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 18th Sunday after Hanukkah for the week of September 26th, 2021. And I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast. And I'm excited because there is a lot, again, to wrestle with and work with. And I feel that the discussions and stuff that we're working through here in this late Pentecost season as we are closing in slowly toward the end of this Pentecost season, this year of Mark. And I think there's just a lot of depth and things that we're wrestling with and going through that are interesting, that are fun, but I think also play really well with a lot of the struggles and things that we internally are wrestling with as a world right now. And I think that's what, to me, is so exciting with going through these texts at this time. So let's take a look at the Twitter question that I had for you guys for last week. The Twitter question for last week, which was, what wisdom as a body of Christ could we understand? And we got a couple responses. And there's a couple quotes from these that I really want to kind of pull out that I think are really interesting. Though a smart man knows what to say, a wise man knows when not to say it. And I think that's a really smart and really intelligent and wise thing to say. And I think that really does bring up, especially as a body of Christ, it's, I think that's one of the things that we are wrestling with as a world. And there was another comment that I got. I really liked the first sentence of it. I think group wisdom can only come when each of us individually resolves to put the good of the group, or better yet, of society at large, ahead of our own. And I think that is a really deep, wise statement. I think that's one of the things that, in a lot of ways, we feel as a world that we're wrestling with. In this comment, they get into how often the world has gotten into winning arguments. And I would even agree with that big time. I think one of the things that also has been really hard for me within sports is winning the trade. Like the day after, the year after, two years after. There's times where there's certain aspects that we aren't fully understanding and thus it makes it hard to be able to quantify like that winning or losing. And I think that's not even necessarily the right way of phrasing things for us because it's difficult for us to be able to wrap our heads around that. And I think especially as a community of faith, it's something that we should be working through, working on that There isn't necessarily winners and losers in this. This is something that we should be doing together as a group, but also individually working our skill to better help the group at large. It's the hard thing of having faith being both a personal and a community thing all wrapped up in the one thing. So let's just jump into it. We again have the alternative Old Testament text And then we'll jump into the other one that you have. So the alternative text is coming from Esther chapter 7 verses 1 to 6, 9 to 10, and chapter 9 verses 20 to 22. This is a really fun read. It's one of the only times in the lectionary cycle where you get to talk about Esther. And so I'd highly recommend it. It's this amazing story of the king over the people of Israel and the king's wife dies. He kind of has this contest to figure out who his queen is going to be. 
since the queen died, Esther changes her name from the advice from her uncle, Mordecai, and she becomes Esther and wins. And in this, there is a man named Haman who is trying to kill all the tribe of Israel, the Jews, per se, or eventually. And in doing that, Mordecai just kind of instructs her, maybe God has raised you for a time such as this. And in this, this is where we kind of pick up the story. Esther goes in unannounced to the king, which was a very risky thing to do. He could take off her head. She could have her killed. He instead has her come in and asks, having this dinner, what do you want? And she then kind of lays out, can we get rid of Haman? And he's going to destroy my people. And in that, we get the story then of Haman at the very end being hung on the guillotine that he had designed to kill the Jewish people. And so it's a fun book. The fun fact with that book is it's the only book that doesn't directly mention God in the book. So it's kind of an interesting book that way. Really empowering female story that we don't necessarily have a ton of in scripture. And it's one of those where it's a time we get to talk about a story that's an amazing story that we don't talk about enough. So that's kind of what I got there. The psalm that goes along with that then is Psalm 124. This leans into that theme that if God is on our side, who's against us and who can attack us? And then we are blessed because we are continuing to pray and give things to God and recognizing that God has made everything around us and that we should be giving praise. The other alternative Old Testament text then is out of Numbers chapter 11 verses 4 to 6, 10 to 16, and 24 to 29. This is a fun story because it kind of picks up from, we talked about this a little ways back, but the people are complaining. The Israelites are complaining having left Egypt and that there is no meat to eat. They are sick of eating this manna and they come and talk to Moses And then we get this beautiful, I think, long text here from 10 to 16 of Moses complaining to God about, I am tired of hearing about these people complain and that I have to feel like I have to carry all this. And when are you going to do something? This is not what I signed up for, essentially. So God then tells Moses to gather some elders and he then gives the spirit to them and they start prophesying, mostly in the tent, but there was a couple out amongst the people and Joshua comes in and kind of lets Moses know that the couple are prophesying and Moses then kind of says, they're the Lord's prophets, let them speak, let the spirit speak within them. That's not just something that's for me only. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 19, verses 7 to 14. This is kind of playing a little bit of that giving praise to God, continuing that praise theme, but recognizing that God is in and among us and understanding how much God is steering us and working with us. And because of that, how valuable God really is and how much then we need to be giving that praise to God. And at the end, it's something that I know I've heard pastors say quite a bit. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This idea of, again, humbling ourselves in front of the Lord, but also recognizing the power and the beauty of what God is doing. 
The New Testament text or second reading is coming out of James chapter 5 verses 13 to 20. This is the last week out of James. And so this is kind of wrapping up what we've been going through with James. And first kind of calls out, are you suffering? You should pray. Are you cheerful? Sing songs of praise. Are you sick? Call people together so that we can pray and recognizing how it's one another coming together to work through these things, that there's an action as part of this, and also the power of prayer. He gets into in verses 17 and 18 how, again, Elijah, calling back into the Old Testament, fervently prayed that it wouldn't rain, and for three years and six months it didn't rain. Then he prayed again for rain, and it came, and it's this understanding that as we're connecting with God, then we're able to overcome the sin of the different things of our lives, but also it allows us, if we're in the right state, to be able to connect with God at a much deeper level. The gospel text this week is out of Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 50. This is a fun little text. John comes up to Jesus and says that they saw another person casting out demons in his name and that they tried to stop him, but he didn't because they weren't following that group following Jesus. And Jesus kind of calls him out for this and states like, especially in verse 40, whoever is not against us is for us. And talking then about how there are plenty of other things that can cause us to stumble in this life. And that's the things that we should be more concerned about. So he compares the stumbling to a great millstone, like a big rock that they use for milling up different wheats and grains for bread. But then also gets into the section that many people have heard. If your hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off your eye, your ear, these things that cut them off, that it's better to enter the kingdom of heaven with one of these limbs missing than having both causing you to sin and bringing you into hell. And the last verse I think is kind of fun, especially to kind of bring up here as a faith and science podcast. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. That's really funny. Salt is a mineral and salt can't become less salty. So this idea, again, how we need to be at peace with one another and working together as a body and so that we can season each other and be able to spread the word and spread our ideas that way. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plug. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I really enjoy using that resource to look through different commentaries, listening to a Working Preacher podcast with three to four different seminary professors who teach this stuff to talk about these different texts and to think about it, along with the various discussions that are on there. But another resource that I really enjoy using is the Revised Common Lectionary coming from the library at Vanderbilt.edu. I really enjoy this because it has all the different readings together in one spot, along with having the art. I think the art and seeing how different artists have interpreted these texts over the past is something that's super valuable and has really helped me to be able to interpret these texts. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from the library at Vanderbilt.edu or checked out WorkingPreacher.org, I'd highly recommend checking out both of these sources. There's a couple things this week that I feel like we have to understand before we get into the science of this. 
If we look at the story of Esther, Esther is put into a position where she has to trust God and do something. If we look at the numbers text, it's that the people cried out to Moses, Moses cried out to God, and then God tells Moses to do something as he is then moving. You look at James, James is talking about gathering people together so that God can do something, but it's also our action of praying is the action. And here again, Jesus is that same idea. It's not necessarily one group. We're looking for working together. We are looking to spread this good news that it isn't just contained to one group think. We are all working as different parts of the body, working together. And the Psalms kind of recognizing that, working within ourselves, that it's something that we give praise to God for, but it's also something that's working within us to be able to share with one another. These are things that take time and take practice to understand. The idea that we have to do something and then be looking for God to do something. And God's might respond differently than what we initially expect. So this week, I'm going to bring a couple different examples of this that the answers are unresolved. I'll tell you that straight up right now. The answers are unresolved. And I'll give you some possible things that are happening with it, but I think it's stuff for us to think about. And again, it's at that moment where we need to probably pray and look for where is the Holy Spirit guiding us to be able to move. And in that, trusting that God is going to do his will through that and continuing to not just stop with the prayer, but continue to look for action to do something. So this week, I was watching a SciShow episode. And it really caught my attention where it was talking about animals migrating in the wrong direction. And I'm like, how is that happening? Especially with the global climate change in which we're in. How are we having an animal so confused that it's migrating backwards? Well, they used the example of the three-line mud snail. Though this is a spiral snail and it's a fairly small snail, but it's found crawling around on the North Atlantic seafloor near the continental shelf. These snails are very dependent upon the current. Now, current is how the water moves around in the oceans. And as water is added and heat is added and temperature affects these currents during the whole year. So one of the other things we have to remember about water, and especially if you live in the northern half of your hemisphere or the far southern half for our people south of the equator, where you get places that freeze over, you know this, that water retains heat fairly well. Water, one of the big things is it tries to maintain a similar temperature so there'll be slow cools and slow warm as we go through seasons. So one of the things, especially with me living in the upper northern hemisphere, we have whole periods of time where we can have snow on the ground, but the water is open because the water temperature is warmer than it is outside. Vice versa can also happen where we have an extremely fast warm up. All the snow melts, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the lake is fully open yet because there can still be some ice because it's still turning over the lake. The temperature within the water is maintaining. Now, 
what is happening with having climate change and naturally warming up the climate, the air temp, that also means it slowly warms up the oceans. And in doing that, that changes current. Now, this comes back to the three-line mud snail. These mud snails are have a temperature-dependent breeding season or a spawning season. And so as it gets to certain temperatures, they spawn, they release their little larvae out into the ocean. They are so small that they are at the mercy then of the waves and the currents of wherever they go. Traditionally, this happens in the summer and the current and the waves push them out into cooler water where they eventually will feed and eat and settle down. And when they do then they're able to be on the seafloor. What they found in a study in 2020 from Rutgers is that they assumed that they would be in these cooler waters because this is what they like. They'd be in the cooler waters. And it's one of the things that's very common. Most marine animals or critters have a very narrow temperature range that they've been adapted to live in. So when they did their studies in the North Atlantic outer shell of the continental shelf, they didn't find nearly as many as they thought. There's less and less of them. They went to shallower waters, and that's where they found them. And so what they attribute this to is due to the warming climate, their hypothesis is that that's warming the water, triggering their spawning event earlier, and then they're putting their larvae out into the springtime waters, which the springtime currents go inland, which thus means that they are going in towards shore. Now, as an adult snail, the likelihood living from a larvae to an adult in warmer waters reduce the chances of it being a successful growth to adulthood. So as they're warmer waters, it's less likely they're going to survive. But the problem is, is as this is going on, now they're in warmer waters, which is going to trigger spawning events earlier, which then spawn their larvae to go further and further in, which makes it warmer and warmer and gets it into a feedback loop, which then we are wondering, is this a species that we still have now that possibly is going to disappear because of this, that it's in a feedback loop it cannot get out of? Since the 1960s, 80% of bottom-dwelling creatures in the North Atlantic deep waters have disappeared. And this is kind of concerning because this isn't the only species that breeds or spawns this way. There's also lots of sea stars, clams, and worms that spawn in a very similar way. So they're already anticipating that this could potentially be an animal that will go extinct due to climate change. Another example. In the New York Times this last week, they were talking about a new company that has a wild mission of trying to bring back woolly mammoths and reintroduce them into the Siberian tundra. The company is called Colossal. They've raised about $15 million for initial funding. And I'll attach the article down below talking a lot about kind of what they're trying to do. And this is something that we've talked about before where there's been some 
theories and understanding of if we introduce woolly mammoths back into the Arctic, would it be able to compound the earth to help reduce the amount of carbon emissions that are being lost and recompound the ice to be able to hold in some more of that methane and thus help to potentially turn back some of the potential of what's been going on with climate change. There are some people that are kind of pushing back a little bit on some of these different ideas, one of them being Beth Sapparo, a paleontologist from the University of California, Santa Cruz, and the author of How to Clone a Mammoth, that she's kind of talking about how there's a lot of things we don't know, especially if we're taking it from elephant culture, which is very dependent on parent to child and that relationship is really important, and then you're going to try reintroducing the species. Without that, what's that going to look like? Also, what are the other ramifications that we don't know about at this point that are going on? But also, there was some hope brought up that maybe this isn't successful, but working with DNA, which brings up a whole bag of ethical things if we even bring this in of do we really should we be playing god and reintroducing species back but also could it potentially help us understand how dna works that we're able to manipulate to be able to help save a species that's going through a pathogen or something of that nature that could potentially wipe out the species and that this research, maybe it's not to help us bring back a mammoth, but maybe it helps us save other species as they're going through the effects of climate change or other things of that nature. These are difficult questions. These are things where it's going to take a lot of prayer and a lot of thought and a lot of looking for God in the answers to help us guide where we should be going. Does it mean that we take three-line mud snails and start bringing them back into colder water? But is that a temporary solution that doesn't really fix the problem? Do we wonder if eventually the waters warm up enough that they hit another current and potentially that current pushes them out to sea? But have they adapted at that point too far that they're not able to then survive where they once did? And what is the long-term effects to the ocean in and of itself with that being gone? That doesn't even bring up like mammoths on, yes, could they potentially help us with this climate change thing? And we've heard other theories before, and this is something that we've talked about plenty of times on this podcast, talking about the different ideas that have come along the way, such as Plantipocene Park to be able to try to bring the tundra back to a grassland, which would have been more like what it was like when the mammoths were there. Again, trying to help with reversing some of these climate emissions instead of and trapping in some of that carbon dioxide that's now being released in different ways because of the warming climate. It brings up a lot of questions. And if we look at our text, you think of Esther in that moment, it's, okay, I've become queen. Is this really pushing my boundaries too far? Is this really what I should be doing? And in this case, she gets encouraged by Mordecai to continue going on in that way. But here we also have the numbers text where the people complain, Moses complains, and God, I think, surprises everybody and has prophecy coming from the people themselves. In fact, even when it's among the camp, Joshua is so taken back by it that it goes into Moses and Moses is like, yeah, don't worry about it. 
James reminding us that yes, we're in a group this together, but also reminding us the power of prayer, the power of doing still the action though, of coming together to recognize, to let each other know. And Jesus saying the same thing, that this is something that we're all working through together. I think that's one of the things like right now where where we're at. We need to remember that we're in this together. We're working through this together. But we also then need to pray, be willing to do the action, whatever God tells us to do. This wasn't ever something that was just blind. Look at these texts and these people. Yes, there's prayer, but there's also action. There's things both ways. And there's ways that they were also If maybe the action isn't being called within them, they're looking for that action of where is God moving. And in the chaos of the world in which we're in, there's a lot of times that we maybe aren't looking for where God is. The thing that I find so interesting with these two different examples is that it does give us hope. Maybe the mammoth thing doesn't work out, but we better understand genes and maybe we can use that to save other species. We're understanding at least this is something that's disappearing. We don't know entirely. We can hypothesize this is due to this. Is there something that we can do to potentially reverse this that's helping us better understand the environment in which we're in and gives us hope to understand there are ramifications of the stuff that we're doing probably far beyond what we can realize day to day. So unfortunately, like I stated, there isn't necessarily solid answers to this. I think this is where like Jesus is kind of giving this commission, the beginning of a commission to send people out and be realizing that, yes, my disciples are going to be beyond just the 12 of you and whoever is exactly following you 12. There is going to be sections and there's going to be things that we can learn from each of them. Just like in science, how we cross-reference each other's papers and trying to learn from each other, I think in faith it's the same way. From person to person, from denomination to denomination, the church, small c, needs to learn from the church, big c, and all the parts that make up that big c church. It gets back to the question of what we talked about last week, the wisdom as a collected body. So the Twitter question I have for you is twofold this week. One, have you prayed about your concerns? Second, have you looked for the action? Is it coming from you or from someone else? Have you looked for God's action? Is it being stirred within you or within something else? It's the hard thing with faith, right? The things that are difficult at times to be able to fully wrap our heads around and be able to talk about. But there's times where we need to take that leap of faith. And sometimes that leap of faith means just being observant. And sometimes that leap of faith means being bold and taking an action. And sometimes that means that we're being observant and seeing the body at work. And that's what's so cool. The world today, in a lot of ways, I think, needs to figure out how we can come together instead of divide. And I think this is one of the ways, as a church community, as different churches, we need to do a better job of it. And this is one of the places that science kind of kicks our butt, because it depends upon it. And as a faith community, as church communities, we should be depending upon our relationships with each other. Understanding there are times that maybe we can't see everything perfectly eye to eye, theologically, but it doesn't mean that we can't still learn from that different part of the body. Instead of condemning it, maybe it needs embracing it and learning from it. Because there are a lot of big questions that we have as a global community that we need to figure out together. And this isn't going to be something that's going to be about who's right and who's wrong. It's going to be about, well, what is God doing and how can we be a part of it? 
and learning from it. That also means that we need to be willing to share and learn from the things that we are learning and being able to listen as much as we are sharing. These are all hard things, especially as an American. We love informing the world of our opinions. And yet there's a lot of listening we all have to do. So I hope it's something that we all are working toward and working with because I'm excited to learn from you. What are your thoughts? What are your considerations? What are things that are going through your head? I'd love to hear. Feel free to shoot me an email. Feel free to reach out on Twitter. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.